0: y'all this one this one hit me it hit me hard uh it's the ricardo project and today we're talking about inferiority complex Hello, my beautiful Tropicana's. Welcome back to The Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, emotional, and comedic impact. My name is Dana, and I'm so glad that you've joined me today for season two, episode 18, Inferiority Complex, which premiered, let's say 70 and a half years ago today on February 2nd, 1953. Before we get into the episode, I just have a couple things I want to say slash address. Yeah, say slash address. First, um, on October 10th, the day that AKA Lucy comes out, I will be at the launch party um, for Sarah Royal, which is going to be this amazing conversation with Shelly Zimmerman, who uh, runs the Loves B-Way Instagram account. Um It's a free ticket. I'll be there. I highly recommend if you're in Brooklyn and New York City that you go. I will link the way to get tickets below. It's not really getting tickets because you don't pay, but it's just like reserving your spot. Um, So... There's also one, I think, in Portland and one in LA that Sarah's doing for the book. It'd be a really great way to meet some Lucy fanatics in the area that you live in, if you live in any of those areas. So just wanted to give that a plug. Uh, we didn't plug that in our episode together a couple weeks ago, but, you know, I've been thinking about it. So if you end up going to the Brooklyn one, let me know. I'd love to say hi. Um, and I think it would be great to support Sarah. Her book is beautiful. Uh, and as always, the link to pre-order, aka Lucy, is in my little description because it really is worth your time. I also want to just give a quick shout out to a couple of folks who emailed slash sent in reviews in the last um, Couple weeks. The first is Sherry, who sent me a really sweet email about watching I Love Lucy with her grandfather. And um, she's almost, uh, she's basically my age. And it was just really nice to hear from her. I've said this before to those of you who have reached out to me on Instagram or whatever, but it's really so special to me to meet other people my age who have similar, like, coming into Lucy experiences as me. Um, I really needed to hear from her. It was just like a really lovely email, and I'm super grateful to her. Sherry, thank you so much for listening. Your email really did mean the world to me. The second thing that I want to reach out to is I've been so lucky to get so many lovely reviews of the show and lovely ratings of the show, and I so appreciate that if you've taken the time to read or review the show. I'm, I'm so grateful to you. I got one that I just really quickly want to read in its entirety. It's a public review, so I feel okay doing that, because I do have a couple things in it that I want to address. So this review was written on September 13th. It's called Conflicting, which is a very lovely, dramatic title. Well done, you. And it's a three-star review of the show. So it says, I enjoy the fun facts about the technical names behind some of the acting and comedic properties that happen, as well as reliving the episodes. I don't enjoy the too modern view on certain things from basically every episode. I don't see how Lucy transforming the apartment to Cuba is cultural appropriation. It's something so sweet that she does for her husband. She's understanding of his love for his homeland. I also don't see how Ricky slash Desi singing Babalu is problematic only because he isn't an Afro-Cuban. This podcast makes me roll my eyes at least once per episode. So... As the podcast has grown in numbers, I have gotten a few of these emails and, and, and reviews and stuff, and it was something I was kind of dreading. Um, but there's there's a couple things in this particular review that I just want to address. First of all, thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful to you, and more than anything, I just want to say I sincerely appreciate that you shared what you like and what you don't like, and that you gave the um, the podcast a three star review. I think when we're talking about political things in general, especially like in the culture we're in now, the minute someone doesn't agree with you about anything that feels political or um, that feels ideological, um, so many people are so quick to just discard the whole thing, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I sincerely appreciate that this is a three-star review, which is saying you like the podcast. You don't love it, but you like it. Um, you're obviously a very wise and measured person, and I sincerely appreciate that. Um, And I'm really grateful to have you as one of my listeners, even if you don't listen every time or even if you find me annoying. I I truly appreciate you. Um, So if you're listening to this now, like truly thank you. Um, Regarding your comment on Lucy transforming the apartment to Cuba, I totally agree with you. It is so sweet. And she's trying to understand his love of his homeland. And I think it's totally fine for you to disagree with me on that. It made me uncomfortable. It felt really cringy to me, more so than anything for that episode. I just felt like Lucy wasn't super refined as a character. I felt like she came off as kind of dumb. Um, but I also know that I'm relatively in the minority with that episode. A lot of people love that episode. So not everything can be for everybody. And I I love that you love this epi- that episode enough to stand up for it. The reason that I wanted to re- bring up this review at, um, at all is because I wanted to talk about this Babalu situation because I feel like I must have misinterpreted um, or misrepresented myself when I was talking about Babalu. I want to be super clear about it because Babalu is a huge part of the show, and you know Babalu starts pretty early in the series when I was still really new at this, and I'm not saying I'm an expert now, but I do think that I'm a little better at communicating how I'm feeling about things. So as far as Babalu goes, uh, the point I was trying to make, or the point I thought I was making, Babalu is an Afro-Cuban god, and that there may be something weird about someone who's not Afro-Cuban singing Babalu. Um, But for my interpretation, the thing that kind of stood out to me was how insanely revolutionary it was for in the very first season of a show with the first interracial couple ever on TV to feature the person of color on the show singing a song about an Afro-Cuban god. I thought that was quite revolutionary and quite progressive and quite badass. And I I loved that that was Ricky Ricardo's signature song, was this declarative statement about his culture. Ricky's signature song could have easily been some Frank Sinatra bandleader number, but it wasn't. We've talked about it more recently in, like, Lucy Goes to the Hospital and how, like, it's kind of up in the air certain things. But that that is my stance on Babalu, that I think it's incredibly badass that that is what Desi Arnaz chose to do. I do think that there's potential for it to be considered problematic, depending on, you know, how Afro-Cubans feel about it. Some don't like it. Some love it. It put their culture into prime time, and some don't like it because it's like, hey, you're not Afro-Cuban, and that's okay. Um, Many people can have different reactions to different things. So I just wanted to be really clear that that is where I stand. I think Desi Arnaz was revolutionary for a lot of ways, not least of which is that he chose an Afro-Cuban god to make his character's signature song. And again, I thank you so much for this review. It gave me a lot to think about and it taught me a lot about speaking with intention and speaking clearly. This isn't to say that if you have a negative review, I want you to post it. I'm very grateful for all the positive reviews I have, but i I I don't think that anything is is immune to criticism and I want to be I want to be open. I've gotten a lot of uh, not a lot, but I've gotten a handful of emails that have been just kind of blatantly mean about, you know, Judging the show too harshly because it was the 50s. And, like, basically, how dare I say, you know, that something hasn't aged well because it was the 50s? And it's like, sure, it was the 50s, but it's 70 years later. And that's kind of the point is to look back on it retrospectively. And I thought this review was really measured and really kind and really generous and really honest. And I wanted to shout that person out. So, thank you so much if you're listening. All right. All that said, let's jump into the episode. So, what happens in inferiority complex? Ricky is at the apartment and he's gathering up a bunch of presents he got for Lucy to take to the hospital. He's getting her all this because he wants her to feel like she has enough attention. And he tells Fred and Ethel that Lucy's been pretty depressed because in the last couple of weeks, there's a woman who had triplets and another one who had twins. And Lucy thinks that she's shortchanged Ricky. Now, we're only a couple minutes into this episode, and there's already so much to say about the competitiveness and the comparisons that mothers make, the insecurities, yada, yada. I'm going to get there. But I just want to flag immediately that that means that Lucy has been in the hospital recovering from her birth for two weeks. The jealousy that I feel about that much medical attention and that much care and that much recovery time is truly unbelievable. Unbelievable. They say that they don't want her getting another inferiority complex, and that means that it's time for a flashback. That music starts up. Ricky does this big, like, remember how crazy it was when we did this, and we flash back to the gang telling a bunch of stories. They're laughing. It's Lucy's turn to tell her joke, and she just can't do it. I mean, she gets caught up on details. She messes up all the details. Fred starts messing with her. Fred's kind of a pill this episode. Like, I just want to be clear. I know I'm a Fred Mertz apologist, but he's a pill this episode. But even Ricky starts correcting her. Um, They're all doing their best to like encourage her to tell the story. It's really sweet, but it's also like they're all kind of laughing at her, not with her a little bit because she's just doing a really bad job. But she finally hits the punchline. It makes no sense. No one gets it. And then Ricky just tells it correctly and it gets this like very polite chuckle because it's not a very good joke in the first place, to be honest. Um, But Lucy gets very offended because they tell her she's not a good storyteller. And they say it lightheartedly enough, but like, you know, she can't really laugh at herself. Her feelings are all hurt. So she tries to like stomp off to bed in tears, but they, they ease it over. They say they're going to play bridge until everybody, uh, wants to be Ethel's partner and not Lucy's. Um, it's actually nice to see the boys fighting over Ethel for once, like to acknowledge that she's better at things. Um, I, I thought that was cute. I like episodes where Ethel's competence is acknowledged, however, tangentially. So Lucy storms out. It's pretty pathetic. It's very sad. Um. The next morning, she's making breakfast. She seems pretty depressed. She tells Ricky she's been thinking, and she's just not very bright. Like, that's her conclusion. She's like, I'm not very bright. I'm not very good at things. It's really, really sad. Ricky tells her that that's not true. She's wonderful. He tries to, like, toast his orange juice to her, and he nearly chokes on it because Lucy forgot to strain the seeds out, which he says is fine. He tries to eat his eggs. He chokes again because she salted them twice. It just gets worse and worse. She burns the toast. Ricky just says he'll eat downtown. It's no big deal. He's very nice about it. But Lucy just calls herself a big fat flop, and she sobs. I mean, poor Lucy. She goes to bed. She's all depressed. Ethel comes in. Lucy shares her sadness. And Ethel tries pretty terribly to encourage her. Uh, And Ricky comes back, and Lucy refuses to even kiss him because she says he wouldn't like it. And in a fun callback to one of my favorite little episodes from season one, the kleptomaniac, uh, Ricky decides to call a physiatrist, which is his way of pronouncing psychiatrist. And he looks it up under F in the phone book. It's very funny. And he, he does that. We find that out. It's like a really great throwaway joke. Cause he just kind of mumbles it to himself. He's like physiatrist F. Um, I love these little throwaway jokes that they do where it's, it's, it's not some big like ta-da. The show is getting really good at just kind of like inlaying the jokes. Ricky's meeting with the doctor, and the doctor decides that she needs to feel flattered. And um, they go through a couple scenarios, but he decides that at eight o'clock that night, he says that a tall, handsome, charming man will show up and as a, and be introduced as an old friend at the house. And Ricky agrees. So we're there. Lucy is in the most beautiful house coat I ever did see. She looks great. She's so annoyed that she had to put do her hair and meet Chuck Stewart, um, which is the alias the doc has decided on. The door buzzes, and what do you know? The tall, charming, handsome man is the doctor, which Ricky's like, okay. And he basically immediately looks at Lucy and just screams like, I love you. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened because it's so over the top. He has no chill. He just lays in. And all of these compliments being paid towards Lucy really make Ricky pretty twitchy. Uh, He turns on the radio because um, Chuck you know, the friend, uh, refuses to watch TV because he can't take his eyes off Lucy. So so music starts playing and Chuck insists on dancing with Lucy, which Ricky hates. Um, but the doctor says it's part of the treatment, which confuses Lucy, but they hand wave it away. So Lucy and Chuck dance and we see her elegant hands. You know, we see how just graceful she really is. It's slow. It's romantic. It's kind of steamy. And Ricky is so jealous. It's so funny. He's like yelling at them to like speed it up a little and stop being so slow um, that maybe they should separate. It's 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 great to see Ricky in this position. Chuck again whispers about the treatment, and Ricky turns the music off, and Chuck starts laying it on super thick again. And every time uh, Ricky tries to stop him, he blames the treatment, until finally Lucy just says, treatment, Ricky. Which she doesn't even know what it means, but she knows that it makes him stop bothering him. Ricky's all done. He reveals that it's a fee psychiatrist. He throws him out. Lucy's pretty devastated. She tantrums fully like my toddler tantrums. I don't really blame her. Honestly, if I was trying to like get out of a deep depression and uh, I was finally starting to feel like, oh, maybe I'm wrong about myself and it turned out it was all a lie, I would be devastated. Ricky has one last idea. He summons the Mertzes the next day. And he says, you know, we were responsible for this. So we have to undo it. We have to laugh at all of our jokes and fight over who plays bridge with with Lucy as their partner. And they all agree. Again, Fred is being such a pill about it. He's like, fine. And I don't really understand what's going on with Fred this episode. He is such a grump. It must be um, bill paying week or something. Lucy comes out. They all try to butter her up. They start laughing like crazy when she says, like, a random word and her eyes kind of light up. Ethel last, her to tell a joke. The joke is fine. They try to move on to the bridge part of the plan, but Lucy is so excited that they laugh. She wants to tell another one. They all laugh. They move on to bridge. They fight over her perfectly. Lucy feels so good. It's so sweet. She says it's just so nice that they like her jokes. They want to be their bridge partner. The next thing that she knows, they'll be asking her to sing. And that makes the gang's blood run cold because no fate worse than death (laughs) listening to that woman sing. Um, But they have to say yes, even though it's being in hell. Um, She bursts into song while the will to live leaves the rest of their eyes. uh, And that's the episode. So here's the thing. This episode really isn't super funny until like the last 10 minutes or so. Basically once Ricky starts getting jealous of the shrink and Lucy, um that's really good. I, I genuinely laughed at that and the last scene is great. I, I really love that scene. Um regardless of that, regardless of it really not being that funny of an episode of I Love Lucy I I really admire what this episode is doing. In my research before I watched it, um there's a Tumblr that I go to a lot to pull historical notes and to pull notes in general. It's called Paper Moon Loves Lucy. It's a fantastic resource. And they talk about how this episode is kind of an oblique reference. To, they have like a throwaway line about it being an oblique reference to postpartum depression. I will say that it might not have been that. They might not have been thinking about that. Um, I don't know. But the hormonal swing post-baby, like Lucy being de- kind of depressed in the hospital after about two weeks, that's very real. Um, I was really lucky. I did not have postpartum depression. Um, But I did have a pretty intense inferiority complex at the beginning. It was so hard, and I felt like I was failing all the time. And it wasn't until about eight weeks in that I really felt like I could handle it. Um, And I was without postpartum depression. I was lucky enough to just kind of be teetering. Um, It was actually so funny to watch this episode because last night I was talking about this exact phenomenon with a really close friend of mine whose son was born a month after mine. Um. Everything your baby does is magical to you, and everything your baby does feels like it's under a microscope. If if your kid has sleep troubles, is it because you're a bad mother? Uh, if your kid wa- doesn't walk first in their daycare group, are you a bad mother? Speaking of daycare, if you send your kid to daycare instead of being able to stay home with them or to hire a nanny or an au pair, like, are you a bad mother? It's constant. It's the comparison Olympics. It was the biggest surprise of parenthood for me. That so much of my energy and time, so much of my friend's energy and time would be taken up by wondering if you were constantly doing the right thing. And people have advice for you, people who raised their kids 15, 20, 30 years ago, people you love and respect. They have advice for you. But everything feels like if you don't do what I think, you're not doing it right. And it can be really overwhelming. And there's also so much happening within your own body that really hits that hard. Um, I'm, you know, almost 15 months postpartum and I'm, I'm, st- I'm currently going through this kind of ebb and flow of emotions where I feel just like I can't do it right and I'm not good enough. My little guy is currently weaning, uh, which means that we're like very slowly stopping breastfeeding. Um, you feed your kid like when they're born, every three hours, uh, so like eight to ten times a day, and then you kind of slowly like pattern that off. So, um, currently, we are in the middle of weaning off of you know his last, uh, his second to last one. So we're we're about to be down to just one a day, um, and it's time. He it's fine. He's led the way on this, but when you stop, I didn't know this, but when you stop breastfeeding, you get what's called like the breastfeeding blues sometimes um, because you're not producing oxytocin constantly. You're not releasing it every three hours. So basically in the last three days, I have cut the amount of oxytocin I'm producing in half, you know, the extra oxytocin. And it takes a little while for your body to rebalance. And so basically every time I've dropped a feed with my son, um, I've had like a few days where I just feel really tenderhearted and I feel very sensitive. I feel really just not good enough. My family is doing the best that they can. It just seems to be one of those situations where I have to wait it out. I have to let everything rebalance and then it does and I feel fine again. But every time we drop one, it kind of starts over. And I'm sharing this because I I just want to say like this, this episode hit me really, really deeply. And I sincerely appreciate that in this like really happy time of the series, whether intentionally or not, I Love Lucy took the time to talk about sadness and insecurity uh watching her little family like circle around her and try to lift her up. It just made me feel super emotional. It it felt the whole episode, but especially the end, really felt like a a, a hug. It felt like recognition. Um it was a reminder that I'm not alone and how I'm feeling right now, that none of us are alone. I felt a lot more hopeful. So Anyway, is this the best episode of I Love Lucy? It's not, no. But it was the one I needed at the time that I needed it. And I think that's what makes I Love Lucy so special so much of the time is that it's like it knows exactly what you need sometimes. And, you know, it reminded me why I love this show so deeply in a, in a way that it had never done before. I had never really looked at the show until I started this podcast as like anything other than just super funny. And it's so much more than that. So anyway, thank you for listening to that. I appreciate all of you so much for being here. Um, let's move on to some historical notes. So, uh, the character, the doctor, the psychiatrist, was named Dr. Henry Mullen, and he was named after the editor of the series who was named Bud Mullen, whose real name was Henry. Bud was his nickname. There's a very rare blooper in this episode where, um, Over the final credits, Johnny Jacobs, who did the announcements during the credits, where he's like, the part of so-and-so was played by yada yada. And he said, the part of Dr. Stewart was played by Gerald Moore. Instead of, the part of Dr. Molin was played by Gerald Moore. And so let's talk about Gerald Moore really quick. Actually, a lot of the comments on my Instagram in the last couple episodes have been like, why haven't you talked more about the guest stars? And you're right. I used to be so good at going into the guest stars' careers And I got to get better at that. I didn't do Sheldon Leonard enough, and I didn't do Charles Lane enough before. So, yep, I'm going to work on that. Uh, Thank you so much, those of you who commented on my Instagram posts and were like, hey, you're supposed to talk more about this person. You're right, I should. Um, So Gerald Moore was mostly in radio, which a lot of these guest stars were, because if you weren't in film, you were in radio. Uh, There wasn't a television thing before. My favorite thing about Gerald Moore is that he was studying at Columbia and he was pre-med. He was going to be a doctor. And then funnily enough, he got appendicitis and he went to the hospital. Uh, and the future doctor, seeing a doctor, is what completely changed the trajectory of his life because he was in hospital next to someone who worked in radio broadcasting. And they heard his like deep, beautiful baritone voice and they were like, you got to be in radio, bro. You can't be a doctor. And they signed him in a contract to be in broadcasting, like, the next week. It was like one of those perfect old Hollywood Lana Turner discovered at a soda fountain sitting on a stool stories. And he's just, like, so interesting. After that, after he was a radio broadcaster as, like, a reporter, he got invited by Orson Welles to join the Mercury Theater, and he got all this experience. And then he had, you know, 500 appearances in radio over, you know, almost 20 years. And he was Philip Marlowe in all of like the half hour radio plays, which was a huge deal. Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe was like a huge radio show. So anyway, thank you, Gerald Moore. And then he died in Sweden at the age of 54, like so sad, so sudden. So Gerald Moore was fascinating. I will get better at, at uh, talking about these guys. So that's it for this week. Next week, we are watching club election so here's the long line for that when lucy and ethel each run for president of their club their campaigns end up taking a nasty turn while ricky and fred each campaign separately for the other woman to win oh this will be fun i i know again i know i've seen it i don't remember it at all that's it for this week thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week and if you're interested in supporting the podcast you can hear that in the outro which is playing right now Thank you so much for listening to The Ricardo Project. It means more to me than I could ever possibly say. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, to tell a friend about it. These are the best ways to help the show. Um, You can also buy Minimalist I Love Lucy merch. You can buy a book off of Bookshop. You can send me a one-time tip via PayPal. If you're interested in a Patreon, let me know, and maybe I'll start one. But the most important way you can help the show is listening like you're doing right now. So I thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. If you would like to get in touch with me for any reason whatsoever, I'd be honored to hear from you. You can reach me at thericardoproject at gmail.com or on Instagram at thericardoproject. You have a great weekend. I will talk to you next week for Club Election.